So there is a, a phrase that I wanted to share with as we get started today. Uh, and it comes from a book that I read this last winter by uh, a sociologist, author, speaker, Brene Brown. Um, and the phrase is to rumble. And what that is, as she describes, is, is an open and honest assessment of ourselves, a conversation where we lean into something vulnerable in the hopes of uh, finding true growth. I, I bring that up because I think every single week we come together and we hope and expect to hear God share something that is uh, transformative in our lives. And we, we sometimes take that and we think, man, that's great. And then we potentially walk out and leave it here. Uh, I, think, I think what today calls for is our willingness to rumble with what God is sharing, um, to be a little uncomfortable, to be a little vulnerable, knowing that God's wisdom is going to transform our lives in, uh, in an incredible way. And I say that I'm not trying to depress us or make us sad. In fact, you know, we're supposed to be happy. The Bible even tells us to be happy. So we'll actually get started with that verse. It comes from James right here. Dear brothers, is your life full of difficulties and temptations? Then be happy. See? That's all you need to be happy right there. Uh, we are in the fourth week of our series, Joy Ride Through Philippians. And if you've noticed, if you've been watching these, we've kind of set up a precedent with what we're talking about. We'll take a negative word and we'll kind of flip it and show you how you can find joy once you find God's intentions in what's going on. So there is, there's joy in loneliness when we find perspective. There's joy in discomfort and suffering when we find purpose. Uh, last week was joy and humility when we find God's true appraisal of us. And uh, this week is going to be no different. Uh, where we can find joy in the midst of trials and temptations once we begin to understand God's intentions with what is going on. And if you've also noticed, uh, we, haven't, we haven't really shared on how you avoid any of those things or how you get rid of them. Uh, it's been a lot more focused on how you embrace them in a godly way. And again, today is going to be no different. And I, actually, I believe that Je that's what James was getting at when he was talking about trial. So I want to read a little bit more, but then I actually want to use a different translation. Uh, this one is, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. And now if you notice in this one, uh, the word here is trial. Before it was temptation. And the original Greek word didn't change, just our translation of it did. Uh, over the course of the history, uh, we've just translated things differently as we gain knowledge of and understanding of different languages, and, and this is the case, but I think it's important for us to understand this distinction because the Bible does use a few different words that we've kind of created this blanket translation of, of temptation. Uh, so James is uh, using this word when he's talking about the trials and temptations, uh, pyrosmos. It means trial or experiment. So he's saying when you are going through a trial uh, or you're going through a test, be happy because it uh, helps you become more mature. Now, later on in this same uh, chapter, he does use a different word that has also been translated into temptation, and that word is pyrostas, desire to do something wrong or unwise. Uh, when he's talking about how God cannot tempt us because God cannot be tempted, what he is saying is God cannot cause us to do something uh, wrong or unwise because God cannot have a desire to do something wrong or unwise. It's two different words translated for the same word, and I just think it's, I think it's necessary to make that distinction because God allows trials in our life to happen 
Um, But what he does not do is throw temptations at us uh, because he can't. Um, However, in the midst of trial, there is typically uh, a few temptations we go through. Uh, And in the book of Philippians, that's actually what Paul is getting after when he's talking to this church. Just to give you a little bit of a context of of the church itself, you know, it's, it's a young church. It's it's growing, it's, it's technically kind of immature still, and the town of Philippi is a, is a pretty select group of people. It's a lot of wealthy ex-military Romans who were gifted this land and property for the years of service that they've given to Rome. And so there's a lot of honor, there's a lot of wealth, a lot of recognition, uh, but there's also a lot of pride, a lot of independence, and uh, now a lot of trial. And Paul even gets at that uh, towards the end of the book when he is calling out what is going on in that church. In chapter 4, he says this, I plead with you, Iota, and I plead with you, Sintich, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, I'll be honest, if you look at that and you're like, that's not how you say it, uh, once you get a microphone, feel free to, you know, pronounce those however you want. Until then, it is Iota and Sintich, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Uh, Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Uh, See, Paul was was realizing that this young church was going through some stuff, and, and he needed to do something about it. These were two women that had helped found this church. They were there since the very beginning. It actually started as a, just as a prayer meeting within someone's house, and, uh, Now they have lost Paul, who's in chains, and it feels like they're about to lose two of their key leaders, and people don't know exactly what to do, and the Bible actually doesn't tell us who is wrong and who is right. All it just said was that it's a very public fight, so much so that word spread all the way to Rome, where Paul is under house arrest, and so he's realizing that this church is being threatened in this trial, and within that, there's going to be a lot of temptations that they need to be able to navigate, So that's why Paul's giving them the wisdom that he's giving them. Uh, That's why he writes in chapter 2, this right here starting in verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation." Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. He was letting them know, hey, uh, there's some stuff going on here that you guys are going to need to rumble with. Uh, there's no getting away from it. There's no avoiding it. There's, uh, there's a trial that this church is going through, and now it's time for us to embrace it. Um, I'm guessing... I'm guessing that each one of us have dealt with some sort of trial in our life. Um, And we've also tried to take care of it. You know, we are a country founded on blood, sweat, and tears. We win wars. We, We demand excellence. And we do it ourselves. We figure it out by ourselves. If something's broke, we fix it. We like to achieve. And we take a lot of pride in that. And so when we come face to face with a trial, we put our head down, we power through, and we fix it. But sometimes we're so quick to push through the trial that we're in that we end up missing something a little bit deeper. And I think there's times where Satan is able to take advantage of that. He's able to tempt us and taking this easy way out. See, I think one of our biggest temptations is the temptation to use the quick fix. 
Uh, you know, I, uh, uh, a few years ago, was, woke up in the middle of the night. And I had this just incredible pain in my, ne- in my neck. It felt like I popped this disc, and I didn't know what was going on. And it eventually subsided to where I go back to sleep. But the next morning, right away, I had, to, I had to go to urgent care. And so they gave me some muscle relaxants. They told me to use a heating pad. Later that day, I went to the chiropractor, and it started feeling a little bit better. And then the next day, I went to the physical therapist. Uh, the physical therapist told me it had nothing to do with my neck. Uh, he told me it had everything to do with my back. Uh, apparently, and ironically, I had a very weak back. Uh, there's uh, supposed to be balance within your body, and I'm not an expert in physiology, but uh, you're supposed to have uh, harmony between the chest muscles and the back muscles, and mine did not. And so my, my back muscles were actually being pulled forward. They were being lurched forward to where it was causing my neck to spasm to mess with my spine. So every once in a while, it would all just pop in this real painful way. And he told me, hey, if you want to fix this, you're going to have to work on these muscles and you're going to have to do some specific workouts and then it's just going to uh, balance everything back out. And I thought, that sounds great, but the pain's already gone, so I'm not going to do that. And I left. Uh, Well, not surprisingly, a couple months later, the exact same thing happened. And uh, I went to the chiropractor, I got muscle relaxants, I did that whole nine yards. I thought about doing the PT, but then again, it subsided again, so I was like, all right, I'm all good. And then I went on, and then it happened again. Uh, It happened like that for two years, and I became an expert at fixing it quickly when it happened. Uh, But it just kind of kept coming until finally I was like, all right, I should probably do this. I should probably work on the actual issue. See, sometimes we're so quick to to solve what's on the surface that that we miss what's underneath. Uh, and it's underneath, it's in that mud that, that really a lot of the growth in our life happens. I think there's an excellent illustration for this. There's a, a tree that, that doesn't go around here, but it's called a mangrove tree. It, it goes, grows along the coastlines all across the world. And as you can say, it's a beautiful tree. Very gorgeous. Uh, and it truthfully should not survive where it's surviving. Uh, These are in areas where the oxygen in the mud is so low, nothing else can survive. And the salt content is so high that no species can really hang out there. But yet, they're not just surviving, they're thriving in that mud. Uh, They're now one of the most resistant trees. There are so much so that uh, they're starting to plant these mangrove forests in the Gulf Coast and in areas that have been hit by hurricanes because they know that, that a forest of these trees can actually mitigate the storm surge and the damage done by hurricanes up to 75%. Uh, see, they've, they've gotten so used to just combating all of the elements. They've gotten used to those waves constantly hitting them, and they've gotten stronger for it to where now they can protect what's behind them. The growth took place in the mud. And for us, the growth often takes place in the mud, but it's not always a place we want to go. You know... We've all struggled with this. If there's something in our life that's uncomfortable, we avoid it or we get rid of it. You know, if there's a job that we're not a big fan of or there's somebody that we're working with we don't like, we just, we tend to look elsewhere. You know, we have that phrase, if God closes a door, he opens a window, where sometimes we're so quick to be like, okay, close that door, open up something new. Relationships that, that aren't going that well, we think, okay, this just obviously isn't working out, so I'm going to get going. Well, sometimes... We're looking for that exit strategy so quickly that, that we're missing the lesson that God is trying to teach us. And if we're willing to embrace, if we're willing to rumble, we'd be able to open up and see, okay, maybe there's a deeper issue that's going on in our life, but the fact is we, we really don't like opening ourselves up like that. We don't like peeling ourselves open, being vulnerable, 
Because what if we find something ugly? I mean, what if we find something we don't like? We realize how flawed we really are. Uh, I think we've all probably accepted the fact right now that we're not perfect. Uh, but we still try so hard to appear that way. And I think it's one of the biggest temptations we always face in trials, and that's the temptation to be perfect. And I think that's, that's now more than it's ever been in our history. You know, uh, they've done a lot of studies on perfectionism because they believe it's an uh, epidemic in our society right now. And since the 90s, it's just continued to grow to where we put so much stress on ourselves uh, that it's creating uh, this new anxiety and depression, all these issues that we're having to deal with because we have to appear perfect. Businesses are booming because they are built around fixing our flaws and insecurities, all for the sake of making sure we don't appear flawed. Because if we appear that way, then we know what comes next, and that's the shame of not being good enough, uh, the shame of, of having something going on in our life that shouldn't be there. And so if we have the choice of appearing perfect or shame, we choose appearing perfect. And honestly, it makes sense because nobody wants to deal with shame, especially public shaming. You know, public shaming has been around forever. And it was real prevalent back in colonial times because they used to use it as a way to punish criminals. That's why you've seen probably in movies or if you've ever been to some historical site, you saw those, those giant wooden shackles that they would stick people in and make them sit there. And uh, that was a punishment for doing something wrong. That was to shame them so they wouldn't do it. And then they started doing research on shame, realizing just how terrible it was. In fact, uh, Benjamin Rush, who's one of the founding fathers of our country, said this, shaming is universally acknowledged to be a worse punishment than death. It's worse than death. I mean, who wants to be shamed? Who wants to deal with that? And the truth is now, if, if we go to someone and we say, hey, I'm struggling with this, or if somebody finds out, man, the fear of getting shamed is so great. Because shame, it's now just, it's used as one of the most common tools in our life. It's used to punish us. It's used to prove a point. It's used to disagree or argue with us. It's, it's used to defend something from someone. I mean, you see it all the time now, and it's right in our face because each and every one of us have access to all of public via the internet. If you say something somebody doesn't like, you may get a post about it. You may get a tweet. They may put something on, online that everyone now gets to see, and its whole intent is to make you feel bad, to shame you. And who would want to deal with that? Who would want to be on the outside? Because that's ultimately what it's doing to us. When we have shame, when, when we are shamed for something, it makes us feel like we're out. And we're in a society where you're either in and you're out. There is no in-between. And you don't, you don't want to be out because that's one of the greatest fears we have in our life. And that's now one of the the greatest temptation Satan has to use against us, the temptation to believe you are alone. You know, none of us are alone. None of us. But yet when we're going through something, we instantly believe we're on this island by ourselves. I, I used to work with students a whole lot uh, in church and outside of church, and I heard this all the time, like, you just don't get it. You have no idea what's going on in my life. Well, the truth is I do because I just talked to someone else who went through it, or when I was in high school, I went through the same thing. And as we get older, we don't, we don't ever own that uh, as truth. We still continue to believe that we're all by ourselves. Uh, one of my main roles as a pastor is to meet with a lot of people, and normally when we meet for lunch or coffee, it's not for them to tell me how great they're doing. 
It's not for them to tell me, hey, just so you know, our marriage is excellent. You don't have to worry about it. There's normally a lot of struggle. And typically within three to four minutes, we're able to pinpoint exactly what's going on in their life. And then people look at us, we're like psychics, or like God must have told you exactly what's going on. And it's like, well, maybe, maybe he did, uh, but you're also struggling with the exact same thing that everyone else is struggling. Uh, so much so that, that Paul even knew that. Uh, you know, when he wrote one of his letters to the Corinthians, he was telling them about that. Uh, in 1 Corinthians, he said this, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. We all go through the same trials. We all deal with the same temptations. But once we get in that, we begin to believe that we are all alone. And honestly, I think we kind of like feeling that way. When we're dealing with something, I think it's just more comfortable for us to do it on our own. We, we handle it as quickly as we can without anybody noticing. And then once we're back to normal, maybe then we can talk about it. But I'm only going to talk about it if, we, if I've already overcome if I've already handled this on my own. You know, it's so prevalent that as I was doing research uh, for this and just, just looking up uh, ways to overcome trials and temptations, which, by the way, if, if you ever are struggling with that and you just decide, hey, I'm just going to Google how to overcome a temptation, there's a lot of really bad advice out there. I mean, anybody can have a blog or a podcast, so don't, don't just buy into everything you hear online. But uh, most of it was all something we could do as individuals. You know, if you're struggling, if you're going through a trial, some of the main stuff I heard was, well, make sure to read your Bible every morning, uh, journal, listen to worship on your way to work, pray at lunch, all these things that are great. I'm not saying those are bad things, but it's all stuff you do on your own. All of the fixes we have for trials are all based on something we can do as individuals for ourselves because, again, we don't want to let people in because then we don't want to have to show them, hey, I'm... Uh, I'm really struggling with this. Uh, you thought I had it all together. I actually don't. Uh, we don't want people to see that. And I think the ultimate reason we're so afraid to let people in, we're afraid to let them see before we overcome, is because, well, most of us have bought this lie that if I'm going through a trial, I must have disappointed God somehow. Now, I must have done something to deserve this. Maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I'm not listening like I should because otherwise, why would I be struggling with this? Why would I be, why would I be walking through this if God was happy with me and it just zaps the joy in our life? Because we can't experience joy. We can't experience peace when we're thinking that God is upset with us and the only way to get back into his good graces is to work back towards it. There's no joy going through temptations believing I deserve this. Now, I, 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 want you to, I want you to understand something. I'm not saying that it never is the case because there are times where, where we're th in a trial because of something we've done. You know, we have to own the consequences of our actions. That's real. But if you don't get anything out of this, I, just, I want it to be this right here, and that is trials don't always happen because you disappoint God because you disobey. You know, sometimes he's, he's just trying to teach us something. I think Paul understood that when he was watching everything go down uh, in Philippi because he was trying to explain that to him. Because if, if you could imagine, just put yourself in their shoes for a moment, they, they're a relatively new church. They're all relatively new Christians. Uh, and then all of a sudden, they're their main leader, their spiritual leader, Paul, gets thrown in prison and they know he's, he's probably gonna die. 
so they're starting to wonder, okay, did, did we do something wrong? Like, what happened that all of a sudden, like, you would get thrown in prison for this? Like, this, maybe we're doing something wrong. And then as they're walking through that, two of their core leaders are having this brutal public fight. So now they're really starting to think, okay, we must have done something wrong. We took some sort of misstep. We need to either figure this out or we just, we need to, we need to walk away from what we're doing because this is not working out. And Paul wanted to make sure that they realized that this trial was not a negative, that it could be something incredible in their lives if they were willing to rumble with it. Uh, that's, that's the advice he gave them in Philippians. He said this, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. You know, I know sometimes it's a struggle for us to believe this, but God is there when we're going through something. And I think we've all ex experienced these times where, okay, I'm going through this and I just don't hear God, I don't feel God, so he must not be around. Well, just because we don't feel like he's there does not mean he's not. You know, the truth is during our trials, it's when he's most present. You know, God is never more hands-on than in a trial. Most of us kind of picture when we're, when we're going through struggle, God is like this scientist that places us in some sort of experiment and then backs away and then just kind of observes from afar. Well, the truth is, he's more like a surgeon. That in the midst of this muck, he's actually performing surgery in our lives right there inside of us, making us as healthy as we can be if we allow him to. He has never been more hands-on. And it's one of the scariest things to think of uh, when we're going through something that we're all alone. That God is, God is distant, God is there, and there's so much joy in knowing that, no, 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 in this moment right here, God is closer than he's ever been. We can go through seasons feeling completely abandoned or have the joy of knowing, okay, this is not fun, but I know God is here. I know God is doing something and I know if I continue to press in, if I rumble with this, uh, God's going to show me something pretty incredible. He's going to make me stronger for what is going on right now. And I don't, I don't necessarily need a quick fix. You know, I, uh, I absolutely love that, that illustration of, of the mangrove tree. Um, not just because of how resilient it is, but, but because how it's, it's so strong. So most trees... Uh, get all of their strength and stability from their roots going as deep and as wide into the soil as they can. Uh, the mangrove tree is not like that at all. In fact, if you look at it, uh, the roots are above ground. And so if you think, okay, if that's where they get their strength and they're above ground, how in the world does this thing stay up? Like, it doesn't make any sense. You'd think any sort of wave or any sort of wind would just knock this thing right over. Well, it's not how deep they go. It's how interconnected they are. See, within the midst of all of this, there is a, a tree that has had roots that, that intertwine with the roots of the tree around it. It connects with this tree and this tree and this tree. And so where one mangrove tree is pretty weak, together they form this almost indestructible forest. It's all about how interlocked they are with the other trees around them. I think Paul knew how, how very, very important it was to be interlocked with the community around you. Uh, it's, why he was, it's why he was trying to show them how they needed to stick together through this. Uh, in, in Philippians 2.12, he said this, Therefore, my dear friends, 
as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, I've read this so many times in my life, and there's almost always been a, a word put in right there. Continue to work out your own salvation. Paul didn't actually have that word in there. That was something we added to try and uh, you know, understand what he was saying because we interpreted it to believe that, okay, he was telling us as individuals we were supposed to work out our own salvation. Well, that's not what he was telling them. That's not why he was making all of this public. That's not why he was writing this letter to say, hey, you guys go as individuals, go work on your stuff. Then when it's all figured out, you come back together and you'll be able to overcome this trial. That's not what he was saying. What he was saying was you guys need to put everything out on the table right now. That's why he even called them out in that book. That's why he used their names because he was saying, listen, this is public. We're a big family. If we want to get through this, we need to work together. You need to work out your salvation as a church together with fear and trembling. It doesn't work if you go do it on your own. You know, just like the mangrove tree, I think we're pretty weak on our own. But together, we can be a lot stronger. In the midst of trials, it's so important to understand that because see, community is strongest during our trials. Uh, now, I, I'll be honest, I, I wrote that and I wrote it and I didn't like it because, well, frankly, there's some of the most... <laughs> traumatic events in my life, some of the hardest periods of my life, um, church abandoned me. Um, and I'm, I'm guessing I'm not alone in that. But just because that's happened before doesn't make it not true that our community has the potential to be stronger than ever before when we're in the midst of a trial. If we're willing to interlock with them, if we're willing to be vulnerable, if we're willing to press into what's really going on, we could have the strength of everybody walking through this together. You know, I, I consider it one of the best decisions I've ever made uh, to stay in community. Uh, it, was, it was back in 2012. I'd been coming to Fountain Springs for just a little bit and I was dating a girl here. We're both very involved, uh, not only in, in serving, but we're also leading in different areas and, and both of us are really unhealthy. And uh, surprisingly, two wrongs did not make a right with that relationship. So it ended really ugly. And uh, neither of us wanted to leave the church because this is where our friends came. This is where our community was. Uh, but that's also where a lot of pain and un, you know, discomfort was because we didn't have the luxury of, of going to a different location or even to different services. I couldn't go to a different night hoping she was going to go to the wrong one. No, it was, it was a 50-50 shot. I was going to have to run into her every single weekend and it was not fun. And I was very tempted to just get out of there. I mean, why, like, why should I have to deal with that? Just, just leave. You know, there's other churches, there's other communities. I could make friends with somewhere else. I hadn't been going here that long. It'd be really easy to bounce. And for some random reason, I don't know why, I didn't. And now I look back, and I have so much joy because I get to see what God was doing. I could see him working as a surgeon in my life, saying, okay, here's some unhealthiness, and we're going we're gonna to have to work on that. You're going to have to get vulnerable. You're going to have to get uncomfortable. And we're going to work through some stuff. And he was also showing me how strong that community has been. That strong, that community I had in 2012 is still the community I have now. And it was never stronger than when I was walking through that. It's one of the best decisions I could have made. If you have ever walked through a trial, 
you know that there's so much joy in looking back, seeing, hey, look what God is doing. He was doing something pretty incredible, wasn't he? Like, he was really working on me. There's so much joy and peace in knowing that God has never been more hands-on. But then there's joy in knowing that I'm not alone in this. I don't have to fight by myself. I don't have to have it all figured out. I don't have to overcome this trial before I can show my face again. No, I can, I can show up in this community and I can let them know, hey, I'm struggling. And uh, I'm not going to get judged for it. I'm not going to get shamed for it. They're going to be right there with me. There's so much joy in a trial. You know, it's, it's understandable how James said when you're facing trials, be happy. Because the truth is we're not alone. We don't have to have it all figured out. God is never, never closer than in that moment. Uh, now, I, I can't say all of that and then make you uh, share all of your struggles. Um, but I, I can ask that we as a church stand together as a community, even, even for just a little bit today as we wrap up. So I want to do something a little different, potentially a little uncomfortable, and I'm okay with that. But uh, I truly believe that there are people in here that are struggling, that there are trials going on. And so I'm going to ask you personally to be bold, to be vulnerable, to be willing to rumble, and to let us be there for you. So if you are, if you are struggling with something, if you're in a trial right now, will you, will you do me a big favor? Will you just stand up for us? Right here in the auditorium, no one's going to judge you. Now, anyone who's not standing up, this is our time to step up. Uh, we're going to move a little bit. But if you see someone near you or away from you that is standing, go stand next to them. Go be their community. Go ahead. Go stand up. Go put an arm around their shoulder. Let them know that you are there with them. I'll give you guys some time. We have an opportunity right now to be a community for people who are struggling. And truthfully, we all know that there are people who are struggling that aren't standing up. And so anybody who is not standing yet, please stand up. Because you get to do one more thing also. We are a community. Uh, whether we like it or not, we're all in this together. So I'm gonna pray, and we're gonna sing a little bit more of a song but if you are not standing around somebody who, who is willing to stand up, I just want you to put an arm around the person next to you. We're gonna be uncomfortable, we're gonna be vulnerable, and we're gonna be interlocked as a community. So go ahead, get tight with somebody right now. Let me pray for you. Dear Lord, we are all struggling. And to be honest with you, Lord, we're all uncomfortable. This is tough. We don't like admitting that we have things going on in our life. We don't like letting people in because then we have to show we're flawed. Then we have to show emotions. Then we have to show our scars. And it is not fun. But Lord, there are people in here that are legitimately struggling. So I pray that we can stand beside them, that we can be their community. Lord, I pray that your spirit is working in us right now, helping us see that we're not alone helping us see that you have never been closer, you've never been more hands-on, and our community has never been stronger. Lord, I thank you for the community we have right now. I thank you for allowing us to be uncomfortable 
knowing you are doing something incredible in our life. I hope that we can always pick uncomfortable for you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this minute of joy knowing we're not alone. That's why it's in your name we pray. Amen. I just want to invite us just to stay here in this moment and lock together. And let's, let's sing this song together one more time. There is another in the fire Standing next to me There is another in the waters Holding back the seas Should I ever need reminding What power set me free There is a grave that holds nobody now that power lives in me There is another in the fire Oh There is another in the fire Oh There is another in the fire Standing next to me There is another in the water Holding back the seas Should I ever need reminding What power set me free There is a grave that holds nobody Now that power lives in me There is another in the fire Oh, there is another in the fire Oh, Amen. Such a great picture of community that we have um, to know that, that we have people here to, to pray for us and to lift us up and to walk alongside of whatever our trials may be. And if you are looking for community, we would love for you to stop by our Next Steps area today on your way out and talk to someone about how you can either get plugged in here or what that next step may be in your life and in your relationship with Jesus. Well, hey, we love you guys. We hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time.